0: life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. I honestly just think I'm going to do this as one single cut. My name is Rob Auchincloss and this is the Holocene podcast where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode is an AMA. I basically opened the door to anyone that has been on the show or is a friend of mine uh, on Twitter, Instagram, to ask questions, and I, on the condition that I answer them as candidly as possible. Um, I never edit these shows, as in, like I don't take out anything people say. I won't parse them or remove things. Um I believe in having this candid train and trail of thought makes it as natural and organic as possible and that's what keeps it most interesting. So I have a series of questions here and um I don't know today today's been a interesting day. I think it'd be summed up by the question does someone ever live rent-free in your head that shouldn't? Yeah. I'll probably look back at this podcast and basically think I'm uh I'm crazy, but, uh, I'm ready to, uh, to move on, to build my own future and, uh, do the best I can to just grow. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm ready for some ripe, serious change. Um, and that change just needs to start right now. I think Confucius says a man lives two lives and the second one begins when he realizes he only lives one and I'm sick and tired of letting my anxiety and emotions take control of me and everything else and just not pushing and doing exactly what I want to be doing. So without further ado, here is episode 15 of the Holocene podcast, which is an AMA with me. All right. The first question is from my mother, Lauren Morse, and she asks, are you addicted to sex? Now, we actually talked about this after she asked me, and this wasn't necessarily a pointed question directly at me based on things I've told her or anything like that, but just to, just a to question in general, something that, you know, her and I talk about a lot. Um, and I think the answer used to be yes. And there was a time, especially after college, when I was in New York City, and after I broke up with a girlfriend of about two years, uh, where the answer would have been definitely yes. Like I, I just I I sought sex purely. Like I, I could care less um you know, what kind of damage I did to other people and, and I wrote about this in denial, uh, one of my pieces that's on Medium. And yeah, I mean I th- I think that there's nothing wrong with wanting to have emotional, intimate connection with another human being. Um, but I think the one thing I've transitioned to is just, just make sure that the people that you spend time with mean something to you. And to me, it's, it's transitioned into this idea that it's either a fuck yes or a no. So unless I really want to see and spend time with someone, then I'm not going to waste my time anymore. You know, um, I guess the paradigm of, you know, I just have to get laid, you know, who knows that, that, that stuff does come up. I think that's natural and and human. Um, but at the end of the day, I just think that, you know, sex is as basic and human as, as really anything else, you know, it's, it's why we all exist. It's how we continue to build the future of our species and, you know, our bodies are biologically developed to desire sex and everyone has different levels of comfortability or temperaments or desires when it comes to that kind of thing. You just define the people that you, um, you know, mesh with. I also have a view on sex that if it's safe and it's consensual, uh, then it doesn't really matter. You know, there, there is no, there's no construct of that actually exists where People get mad or upset if you slept with too many or too few people or you're overexperienced or inexperienced or you, you know, you know what you like, or you don't know what you like. Look, it's, it's, it's a, it's a spectrum and everyone's learning and everyone had to start somewhere. And, uh, it's just something that, you know, definitely drives a lot of ego in both directions. Um, and that's something I've been working on recently is, is just trying to temper my own emotions and understand the desires I have when it comes to other people and, continuing to grow. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to add on this on the subject. Uh, Elizabeth Auchincloss, my sister, asks, how do you think having divorced parents has shaped your life? Well, um, for those of you who don't know, my mother, Lauren Morris, who just asked the previous question, and my father, Blake Auchincloss, um, who has a question later on here, uh, they got divorced right before 9-11 in 2001. And they, they, you know, they're still good friends to this day. Um, and I think I always kind of took that for granted. Um, and, you know, I had friends growing up that had divorced parents that just didn't get along. And as I grew older, I kind of realized how singular how singular the situation was, like, and how rare it was, you know, I just, (sighs) sorry, this is, this is bringing up some, some thoughts and emotions for me. I don't know. I, I think I, I don't think it's impacted me otherwise. The most beautiful thing about it is that my parents each individually grew into their own individual people. Um, and it's amazing to watch the growth of different human beings as they get older especially from the ages of in their 30s to in their 50s to now my father in his 60s and they're both happy individuals that are successful and both have different views on life and I honestly I love this duplicity of different kinds of advice I get sometimes with parents it's a it's a united front you'll get some advice from either one but you know they're really separate houses in my family and uh and I, and I kind of love that and I love the separation and I honestly couldn't imagine my life any other way. And I really think that who I am today is um strongly because of, you know, what what I went through. Um if that makes any sense. But I'm actually curious, I'm gonna ask my sister the same question back. Um, my friend Travis Schumack, Um, although I I always butcher his last name. Remember those best friends were I'm sure many of my best friends still don't know how to pronounce my last name, so I'm sure it's fine. Um, he asks, "What's your view on sexual orientation fluidity, and do you find that girls are as sexually and animalistic as men?" Uh, and there's a third part to this question, which I am not going to answer. I guess I have to. A um, third part. I'll I'll answer after this, and I'll say what it is. So, sexual orientation fluidity. I I just I just truly believe that. Um. Sorry, I got distracted. Uh, no, sexual orientation, fluidity. At the end of the day, everyone is allowed to do whatever they want to do. I don't view anyone differently from who they love, who they want to fuck, what they want to do. I don't kink shame. I don't believe any of that. Like everyone's into different things. And as long as it's safe and consensual, that's, that's all I care about. Those are, the, those are my two rules. Um, and in terms of sexual orientation, fluidity, like, uh, you know, I grew, up, I grew up with my mom who was married to my dad and then dated men and then dated women. And then now it's d- back to dating men, uh, over the past, you know, 15, 20 years. And so I just, I understand that from a young age that sexuality is, is truly a spectrum. You know, it's, it's not, I don't think something can find, and also something that, that you have to set, set your, you know, set your boots down. And just because you married straight, uh, and you've only ever, you know, just say for me, I've only ever slept with women, um, doesn't mean I'm going to push off in the future this idea that like maybe someday I might have some inspiration to, um, you know, play for the other team, so to speak. But uh, no, I mean, I, I I think that I think that that's kind of most people's view in modern times nowadays, and I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. You know, humans are are you know promiscuous by nature, and. You know, we have examples from thousands of years ago of people kind of being fluid with their sexual orientation. I think that's just natural, as natural as the human species it is. Um, Second question was Do you find that girls are as sexual and domestic as men? Absolutely. Um, I think that modern society, especially strong religious tendencies, are the culprit for repressed sexuality in women. Um, But I don't, I don't, I've experienced firsthand and also have friends and know for a fact that, um, you know every everyone's is i i think the i think the answer would be is that there's a strong spectrum between everyone um but in terms of men versus women or girls versus boys or uh any human you know regardless of if we're gonna play with genders or sexes uh you know i i think i think I haven't noticed a difference um and and travis is is gay for the, for um you know he he and that's kind of the view he's asking the question from. But uh, yes, I do. I'd say in most cases, um, most are on average more than men. But I think modern society has repressed women uh, to kind of open up that sexuality. It's kind of like the, you know, the, that terrible idea that, you know, a men a man, a man, a man, uh, will get, you know, celebrated and cheered on by his friends for, you know, sleeping with a bunch of different women. But if this, uh, you know, a woman does the same thing, then, you know, sometimes they're frowned upon, which is, you know, poor shit. Um, I don't know. I, am a big believer in that. And I'm also a big believer in, in fairness during, during sex. Right. It's like, what's that, what's that TikTok go? It's like, uh, I love when guys come back home or brag to their friends. Like, yeah, I fucked this girl last night, but you know, did she come? No, sounds like she fucked you then, right? (laughs) I think that's the best way to phrase it. It's like, it's a two-way street, but most people that brag about all the sex they're having are really actually terrible in bed. Um, And the third question he says, what's the most you've ever done or would do with a guy? Um, I think I've made it to what I would call third base with a guy when I was younger. Um, But it was kind of an amazing situation because uh, I learned very quickly that this person uh, hadn't come out of the closet yet and, uh, was in fact homosexual. And I learned in that moment that I was in fact not homosexual. <laughs> it was, a, it was a huge turn off for me, but I'm, I'm glad I experienced it. And, uh, it kind of set me forward as, I'm not saying that I wouldn't do more in the future with the guy, but I just have no intention or interest in the near term future to do anything, uh, with a man, but that could change. I don't know. Life's a long journey and love and sexuality is a spectrum. Uh, my friend Madison Babioni she asks, what would you tell freshman year at Riddle, Rob? So we went to a school called Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. We all referred to it as Riddle. Um, I, I think I would just tell, if I could go back, what is that, um, freshman year? Uh eight, eight years ago now. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> if I could go back and talk to my freshman year self, I think I would just tell him to relax, And that the next few years would be some of the toughest anxiety filled, um, depressive, you know, situation that, you know, one one might be able to go through. But I think, uh, with some medical stuff thrown in there and I, I just think I would say to him, you know, you're making this much harder than it needs to be. And you're much harder on yourself than you ever should be. Um, and I think I'd also tell myself to try harder and not pay attention to the opinions of others sooner. Um, nowadays most people know me as someone who kind of doesn't really give a flying fuck what people think about me. Um, but it wasn't always that way. And I think, you know, in college I did a lot of growing up, but you know, I would have loved a, a bunch of pointers and how-to guides, but but I mean who knows if if, if young Rob would have even realized or self-actualized and listened to his future self or just told him to go fuck off. Um, just being honest. Um, second part of the question is how do you think the trauma, not to be dramatic, you could say negative experiences you experienced growing up affected you as an adult? Where did they help you and where did they hold you back? Do you even think you had any? Um, you know, like I, I do think there was some trauma here and there. I think every kid at some level uh, you know experiences trauma. I think it's a spectrum. Um, you know, what one kid would experience is maybe the worst thing in the world to another kid and vice versa. Um, you know, I did experience, I, 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 do, I truly don't believe I experienced anything truly life-changing, um, or truly traumatic or triggering as a young kid. Uh, and I think I'm very fortunate for that because I have many friends that, that did, um, and everything, you know, I, I don't really want to get into it, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that I luckily had parents that were very fair and very kind and, um, made sure I was protected from any kind of bad actors that would potentially cause or produce any trauma. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was bullied a lot as a kid. So I guess, you know, that, that some of those experiences were incredibly traumatic and my, my mind blanks this out cause I honestly forget most days that, you know, there were some days I'd come home and cry for a few hours cause I had no friends and I was harassed. I was terrified to even walk down the hallway at my school for a long time. Um, but, uh, Yeah, it made me who I am now. You know, it's like I I see bullying. I give it zero tolerance. And uh, from that point on, it's also like it kind of hardened this idea that it can all be summarized by this one statement, which is that I don't believe that you have to be validated by society to be who you are. Just be who you are. Don't let someone else tell you who you are, um, if that makes any sense. Uh, My father, Blake Auchincloss, asked, What would you say is your greatest achievement to date? um, honestly, so far in life, I am just greatest achievement today. I don't don't know if I can pick one single one. I just think that like this journey I've been on since I really sent, so there's this, there's this one event, um, in high school. I did Knowles, which is the National Outreach Leadership School. Um and it involved me hiking in the rural Yukon territory for 27 days with like a hundred-pound backpack and a group of other kids. And we basically got lost in the Tundra, I guess you could say, of the Yukon. And it was it was amazing. And I ended up losing a lot of weight on that trip because I was this, you know, chubby, shorter, fat kid that hadn't hit puberty in sophomore year of high school. And I came back and it kind of gave me a lot of confidence. And after that point in time, I really stopped. I realized how deeply in denial I was about a few things and it kind of pushed me forward. And then there was this, began this iterative process of building and building and building. And so I guess I would say to answer this question directly, it's like each iteration step in life in which I kind of look back and I say, I'm thankful for the time I spent on the things I've done. I'm thankful for everything I've experienced, but it's time to cut out this, improve on that, stop doing this, do more of that. And I don't think people do enough of that, honestly. I think I think people just are fine sitting and swimming along and not thinking often. But I'm, I'm always trying to iterate. Um, and so I guess I would say I'm always most proud of my most recent iteration, this constant phase and cycle of growth I find myself in. Um, and the reason why I started off by saying that, you know, I'm ready to start this second life, and, and I do mean it, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to hold true to that from, you know, that earlier moment onward is that, I've been on this phase of growth that's been slow and I do have regressed quite a lot, but I'm going to stop regressing and just keep pushing through and pushing forward and, and, and not beating myself up for mistakes, so to say so often, but also not kind of ignoring the obvious mistakes and kind of cascading into oblivion. Um, you know, and that's, and that's just what happens. If that, if that that makes any sense, it might not make sense. Um, but, but long story short, I think I'm most proud of what I've become and what I am becoming. And I've put aside a lot of the things that used to ail me and a lot of the things I'm taking on and building. I'm really looking forward to, you know, um, I am as thankful for the past as I am excited for the future. And the most, the greatest accomplishment I'm working on now is to be content in the present and happy. Um, it is something that I have worked on for a long time, and it's something that every day I get closer to. Emma Fuller asks, "What do you look for in a partner?" Um. So, this is an interesting question because I think I think my mind changes on this a lot, and I and I assume it's like, um, I kind of view relationships and dating uh in in one kind of n- logarithmic way and, and the fact that or I would say I should say exponential way in that I when I'm going to meet someone, like I meet someone on a dating app or I meet someone at a bar, and I'm just trying to learn more about them or trying to see if there's any potential there, I don't really have any intentions. My intention is to meet interesting people and, and see where it goes. Um, and so this idea and this basis has been more recent in the past year or two but it's really allowed me to meet people and then temper expectations the entire way, and really try to see if like, I think it's I think people so often today are seeking something that they forget to actually stop and, and figure out if someone is actually compatible with the life they want to live, uh, whether as a friend or as a just a companion or just just someone you hang out with, and and if you can't you know check off those basic boxes, then you should never try for anything more. Um, you know, I I Casey, one of my best friends. Uh, I traveled with her this past weekend in California and, uh, we're not dating. Um, we, we had a fling, you know, probably through COVID when I moved to Seattle. Um, but we're, we become really, really close friends. And her and I were talking this weekend about how the fact that like probably the future long-term partner that I have and and she agrees with me is as, uh, even for herself too, is someone that is either going to, you're going to meet serendipitously. This is going to sweep you off your feet and the rest will be, you know, a storybook, right? for as long as it lasts, hopefully forever. It depends on how you view that. Or someone that you've known for a long time. Someone that's a friend from growing up or built that. And sometimes you meet people that you want to keep in your life and hold on to. And it just might not be the best time for you and them to be a thing. It may be best for you to be friends. And then in the future it could work. People have to mature, people have to grow um, it's kind of beautiful, but also, you know, realize that the, the people that you grow into could also grow out of that as well. And I think that's, that's what most people, you know, end up splitting or, or get divorced is, is when, you know, people always mature. There isn't a magical age in someone's life where they hit it and they're just the same person for the rest of their life. I mean, so, some people are, but I think most people change and, and, you know, I know people that have gotten married in their twenties or thirties and been really content and head over heels in love for 15 years. And then, you know, they both grow into different people and that's, that's fine. Life is a, life is a journey. And, and if you, if it doesn't work out with someone and it doesn't. So I don't know. I think I've spent most of the day resolving some ego around just that friendship I have with her. Um, cause we're not dating, but you know, I do care for her deeply and I, I, want to see her do the best thing and things like that. And when you spend quality time with someone that you do have seen in a romantic light before and do care about just even beyond like a sexual or friendship level, like as a true, like lifelong friend. Um, sometimes it's hard to like bundle your feelings and put them aside and basically say, you know, the best thing for us is to be friends and any of their feelings or emotions is, is ego based. And, and, you know, I don't want to prohibit them or limit them from having fun or having the life they want to live and meeting other people and doing fun things. And it's it's just, you know, it's something that, you know, we've both gone back and forth on, but I think that's natural in friendship, especially friendships um, that were either based on prior relationships or friendships of people that um, friendships with people that are of the sex you're attracted to. Right, or of the of the gender you're attracted to, or of the definition you're attracted to, or, or whatever. But to kind of answer the question directly, it's I need someone that is creative and driven and independent. Um, someone that's not afraid to call me out of my shit, and there's plenty of it. Uh, someone who just constantly also loves iterating and building and growing and understanding that you know what what two people can have together is always going to be greater than what each individual person could have, uh, even summation separately. Um, and it kind of goes back to one of my favorite sayings, which is, you know, we're all just constructs of who we led into our crazy lives. So I want to let someone in that allows me to bloom. Um, Brian Collins, the designer and mentor of mine, uh, I actually worked at Collins for about a year, uh, 2017, 2018. Uh, he asked me, why the hell did you really want to work for me? Um, well, Brian, to answer that question directly and roundabout ways, I discovered you on LinkedIn because you're connected with my mother and, I immediately kind of you know, dug through the comments you were making and I thought, this, this person's really interesting. They're kind of saying exactly what they want to say and I really, I really vibe with that. And then I went and saw the work that him and his team was doing at Collins. And it was the first time that I had seen branding, strategy, design work that really excited me. Um, it wasn't just like a fancy house you saw in a magazine that you're like, oh, it'd be nice to live there. It was like, I saw the whole field I saw what they were creating. I saw the magic they were creating. I saw the story they were trying to tell. I saw what fun they were trying to do. And the team is just this dynamic and vibrant and amazing group of people always working together to build the future. They're, make, they're making the future possible, right? That's something that he always kind of harped on me to, to kind of understand. And I worked alongside him, and it, at first it was a risk. Like, I didn't really knew what was going to happen, and it was something I really wanted. I, I turned on a few other jobs and waiting to see if that would happen. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I don't know. I had this insane gut feeling that I just I was just meant to work for him and learn from him. And in that one year at Collins, I, I learned more than I think I could have ever imagined learning and he kind of set up the rest of my career to do what I'm doing now and give me the confidence to kind of go out and understand like what the world is and what it can be and really that you know society is made up by people no smarter than you or I so if anyone tells you that you're not doing the right thing or you're not doing what you should be doing just tell them to go fuck themselves like that's that's, that's essentially the the best thing you can do for everyone including yourself um and you know and and beyond that, you know, like I'm incredibly thankful for, you know, the the, the short times that him and I will connect nowadays. But to, to answer the question in less than five words, why did I really want to work for him? Um, there is no one else in the world like Brian Collins. I can say that for, I, I will bet a lot of money on that. And when you meet people like that, that just sweep you off your feet and fascinate you and mystify you, you have to sell the farm and ensure that you can spend time and learn from them. And if you don't, you are walking backwards in life. I I don't think there is any more um, efficient way to describe it than that. Uh, my friend Zach Bissonette asks, why are you the way you are? Um, and at first I kind of took a jab at him because I was like, you're just being a dick. it's like what you know why are you the way you are like why do I have to put up your shit and and he he means that partially but but he but he knew what I meant when um uh you know excuse me I knew what he meant when he said that and he confirmed that with me so you know I just think I'm the way I am it's a combination I'm a big believer in nature and nurture um you know I I think that To a point, there are certain things that are genetically coded deep into your DNA that define who you are. A lot of physical things, a lot of mental things, a lot of habits and anxieties and random things that kind of grow. But I think there's also a lot in life that you can change. You know, I've I've killed some pretty terrible habits. I've evolved from some pretty innate things, and I think I've also picked up skills that. I don't think, you know, anyone would have thought that I've been able to. And I think that a lot of people do that every day. And so, you know, why am I the way I am? I think I just have this constant desire to continually iterate, move forward, and evolve, and always be the best version of myself and never settle, and just kind of push forward. And also, like, the I think I'm just blessed, and I say that as an atheist, with... <laughs> genetics that allow me to be hypervigilant and very energetic and be able to just always be on. You know, I people that know me well know that when I wake up to when I go to bed, I am on. Um, and when I'm kind of feeling off or stuff like that, I kind of retract back into my my home and don't really talk to anyone. So most people ever see me as on. Um, and that's on purpose. And, and I just think that, you know, I've learned that once I find something that captivates me, that 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 drives me, that encourages me to push forward and continue to move and build and and just push, I just I hold on to that and go. Um, you know, COVID's been really hard because I have had many moments where I've just stopped and completely started over, and I've pushed 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 away some of the really amazing and fun projects that I want to work on. Um, a lot of it because of perfection. Um, a lot of it because of denial, a lot of it because of, you know, OCD, which is a mixture of both in my mind. Um, I actually wrote this piece, uh, it came out today on when this podcast will be published, if you're looking for it, on March 16th, 2021, on Holocene, it's the third one ever produced in the newsletter on Substack. It's called The Paradox of Importance. And I, long story short, believe that you are what you do not what you say you do and we are all just a construct of the people whose lives we impact the world we impact and the decisions that we make and i think that the way i act to most people is twofold it's that i want to make impacts i want to be memorable um but i also i I go for the throat so to speak like i'm always looking for conviction and candid opinions and no nonsense, and then the second part of that is also like I view most people as sheep, and I just do. I just think that most people float along, float along in the in the stream of society, kind of letting it tell them what to do, and continually being content but never really asking why they might actually be doing something. Um, and I hope there's not as many sheep as I fear there is in this world. But you know, I just think that too many people don't ever don't stop often and ask themselves why the fuck they're doing what they are. And I think that simple notion kind of pushes me to be who I am and I really hope it's something that a lot of people do. Jenny Block asks, "What do you think it means to have a good life?" Um, you know, going back to this exact same newsletter that I published today in the paradox of importance. Um, you know, if I can remember correctly, the last line in the in the piece that I wrote was my goal in life is to constantly work on things, be surrounded by people, and to spend time in places that bring me unbridled joy. To be able to live a life of choice is the greatest existing privilege found within the human species. And so, to me, I think if you if you if you can live a life life, life if you can live a life of immense choice. You are very privileged. If you can wake up when you want and do what you do and work with who you want to, where you want to, when you want to, on the problems that you think are interesting, uh and really not worry about much in between, you know, that is that that is in my mind what it means to live a good life. Um and I know that's a pretty high standard, but that's just, you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. I'd rather, I think. Robert Downey Jr. says this often is like, I'd rather live a very dark, depressive, sad life than live a mediocre life that kind of floats in the middle. Um, and, I, and I agree with that because you can not experience the highest of highs that also experiencing the lowest of lows. And I've been there and I know a lot of you have too, um, but it makes the highs that much better. And I think that, you know, life, like everything is a spectrum. You want to have balance uh, and that's when you'll find your center. But yeah, uh, I'm actually curious. Should I, I should ask that question on the podcast more. What do you think it means to live a good life? Um, very subjective question. I don't think there is an objective answer. Um, but I think something that Naval says, Naval Ravikant is, uh, you know, his view of what it means to good life is, uh, it's, it's right after that, what I just said in the same newsletter. So I'll read it. I only really want to do things for their own sake. That is the definition of art. Whether it's business, exercise, romance, friendship, whatever, I think the meaning of life is to do things for their own sake. Ironically, when you do things for their own sake, you create your best work. Even if you're just trying to make money, you will eventually be the most successful. And I view that in the same thread as choice. You know, do do things that you want to do. If you can wake up and do everything for its own sake, then you know, you're know you in the point oh one percent people in this world. <sighs> Sorry, heavy emotions hitting. Um, Patrick Michael Chin asks, what is your own photo journey? Well, Patrick is someone I've connected with many times uh, online and he hopped on the podcast uh, earlier on a couple episodes ago and um. You know, so when I my I always grew up with my parents having cameras around, taking pictures of us uh, on trips, on vacations. My dad was always kind of a camera guy. My mom was too. Um, they definitely both played around with a lot of film when they were dating and hanging out and stuff like that. And so I have I have immense archives of photos of me as a kid, which I'm just going to make sure that I also have for my kids. My mom was spending a lot of time digitizing them and storybooking them and all the all the cool things one does. But for me, ooh, excuse me. For me, a photo is a reminder of a moment in time. And my memory, I'm just lucky to have this. I don't really know what it, what it is or what it can be like kind of t- t- totally described as. But when I see a photo, um, I immediately, like my body kind of has this immediate reaction to what I was feeling, what I was smelling, what I was experiencing that moment in time. And so I have some pretty heinous pictures of my friends uh, <laughs> that, you know, if they were the same picture of me and of myself that, that aren't, aren't appealing or attractive photos in any way. Um, but they remind me of moments. They remind me of moments in time in which, you know, I was happy or something was funny or sad or, or you know, they, they just all do that. And so, you know, even as a kid, I loved looking back at old photos because it reminded me of, of things I forgot about. And for some reason, even if I looked at a photo of myself as young as two or three uh, when I was younger, I could still remember the moment around that photo being taken of me. Um, And so I was always fascinated by, um, you know, just photography in general. I thought it was a really cool thing. Like, how is this magical box with this big glass round thing on the front uh, doing what it does? And so when I was in summer camp at summer arts at Derby, uh, Derby Academy in Hingham, Massachusetts, where I grew up, um, there was a photography class, and it was film photography. And I was able to take this class on black and white film photography, where you would shoot black and white film, and then develop your own film, and then develop your own photos. Um, I did that when I was uh, 10 or 11. And so I just remember like, I wish I still I think my mom has some of the first like the original negatives of the first photos I ever took. And I think I went like I think when I was starting out I was trying to be too artsy. I was trying to get like the, the artsy photos you see in a gallery and stuff like. That. I thought that was I thought that photography was objective. There was only one thing you could shoot. There's only one thing that looked good. But then I kind of realized that everyone is growing and learning at their own pace and also doing things. And so I had a digital camera growing up and was always taking photos um, and I always loved like moving around and, and traveling and taking photos, of different things. I remember when I was six in France, my mom bought me a disposable camera and she's like, you have 36 shots for this entire trip, like choose wisely. And I still have those photos I took in France at six. And I just remember from that day on, I love this idea that like I had the power to choose which moments in time I was going to save forever. And I also love the technology of the little camera. Like to me, that was just so exciting. I don't know. I, I just like a camera to my that knows me. I usually have a camera on me. I'm usually taking photos or videos or, you know, I've, I've vlogged, I've, I've, I've posting Instagram. I, I love nature. I love people. I love just capping the human condition cap capturing the human condition and the natural world that surrounds us that we're lucky enough to have. And I don't know. No, I think that it just stuck with me and I always liked it. And there were a couple times in life where I didn't have a camera, but I still had a phone. Um, you know, luckily I had a camera on my phone since I was in seventh grade. And so I always took some, you know, shit pictures of my original Motorola razor. And then when I got an iPhone, um, the, the photos were better. They still weren't great, but they were certainly better. Um, I went through this really OCD period in college where I deleted all my photos of my phone. Cause I was just like sick of that person. I don't want to be that person anymore um, from all of high school and the first like three years two two or three years of college. And I really regret doing that. Um, I have all the original photos of that. I posted on Instagram from senior of high school onwards, but there's a lot of photos in there that I just don't have that is deleted. Um, and it's really a bummer now. I understand why I did it in the moment I did it in, um, I was just being OCD and perfect and wanted to start a new life or something like that. But, uh, yeah I think about those photos a lot and i i, and I love to think it's not they're, they're not lost memories little little even me thinking about it now is jogging random things in my head but I would love to just have seen the things I was capturing what I was thinking at the time I think that photos are a great way of reminding yourself what you were thinking you're doing and I have so many fucking videos that I've made to myself that are most of them are cringeworthy'll we'll never see the light of day hopefully um but it's always a good way to benchmark yourself in life just send yourself a little message. Um, so this is not detracting from that, but nowadays, you know, I always travel with a camera. The newest iPhone smartphone camera is, is pretty incredible. I'm always taking photos of things I like to see. Um, as I, I think, but overall, I take photos to do two things, share the journey I'm on in my own life with other people that may find interesting and just as important, remind myself as, or of the important moments in my life that I care about. And it's amazing how seeing a photo, even from three years ago, can make you feel emotions, sadness, anger, joy, fear, you know? And I I think that photos do that. I think, I think movies do that too, but, but photos for me have always been a vehicle for understanding myself, the world around me and helping people understand the journey you're on. Tyson, black, one of my good friends, asks, what do you feel you are best and worst at? Um, I honestly think it's the same thing. I think I'm best at understanding what I'm good at, and I'm also terrible at understanding what I'm good at. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I'm trying to remove ego uh, and overconfidence and things like that from understanding what I'm actually good at, what I actually want to do. And so I like to think that I'm a very calculated, particular person that knows exactly what they want to experience and do in life. But I'm also very bad at execution and follow through. And so I, mean, I think that's it. Um, I think I'm amazing at ideating. I think I'm amazing at planning my life and giving myself the best possible rubric to succeed but i managed to not follow it and fuck up and ignore it the entire time i think part of it is is honestly this like it's it's only my own ego basically saying oh i know better than what past rob thought and always wanting to iterate but i think the thing is to remind myself to constantly be iterating and that sometimes it's going to be like you know I have to start playing long-term games with long-term people, and remind myself that it's always going to be, and I haven't found an exception to this rule. Uh, short-term sacrifice for long-term game, every single time. And you have to give yourself those short wins, those little little hits of serotonin every once in a while, little bursts of feeling happy after buying something. But you know, I think most of my addiction to sex and spending money. And buying things and stuff like that, um, you know, was because I just wanted that hit. I was depressed. I was in my own place. I was dealing with so much anxiety. I just needed a little bit of, a little win. You know, I was distracting myself. And so I think I'm best at realizing that. And, you know, what is that? The first step in solving any problem is realizing there is one. I think I'm great at that. I'm not good at the second part which is then execution to remove said problem. But when I started this and said that I am starting my second life, that is the main purpose moving forward. That is something that will change. I need to get good at execution. And the worst thing that happens is you just executed, usually a very well planned out thing and you can learn from that. But during that period, you're probably much more successful than you would have been questioning at the entire time. If that makes any sense. Taylor Winters, one of my mentors, um, and she actually brought up something interesting uh, when i the way i phrased this question when i was asking it she said just this is a this is a good coaching moment but the way you phrase this may have come off as arrogant to some other people and I, and i didn't really realize that i was typing it but you're right and it's it's amazing how much i've learned that i'm terrible with language i'm an, i think i'm great at telling a story but when it comes to writing it out i view writing in my head not the actual way people read words if that makes sense so i always have editors edit my my shit to make it sound like what I want to hear in my head. Um, because what I, what I type out isn't what most people read. Um, and so I, I, I appreciate that feedback. Something I'm, I am working on something I've gotten better at the past few years. Um, but she said, what do you want people to know about you? And what don't you want people to know about you? Jesus, that's a whole different question. Um, I think growing up and even as recent you know, it's it's something that is drastically getting better every single day. And so I'd say even four years ago is terrible, and right now it's one percent of what it was. <laughs> but uh I was a very insecure person. Um And I think that's why my ego did explode at the point it did when I was younger. But I just I liked constant check-ins, constant satisfaction, constant reminders that I was who I was, that I wasn't worthless, that I wasn't useless. And this is from a whole source of events and things that happened growing up and and who I am and what I've experienced. But I think that every day I get less and less insecure. And I think nowadays I'm a fraction, like a tiny fraction of what I used to be. And I'm a very self-confident driven person. Um, But it's something that I I do improve. And I feel like it's almost a sizable change every few months. And, but if I were to kind of look at a grand scheme, like I'm, I'm I wouldn't even call myself insecure anymore, but there was a point in my life where I really was. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there are other things in life. Like we all make mistakes. We all do things we we shouldn't do. The best thing you can do is, is own up to those mistakes and ensure they never happen again. Um, and don't let your anxiety run wild. You know, um, I'd, I'd say I spend too much time in my head, whether I'm thinking through a new idea or something cool or beneficial, but sometimes it's, it's spending too much time worrying about something dumb. Um, Case in point, I spent probably four or five hours a day just having someone live rent free in my head. Um, Wasn't able to do anything. I was just stuck thinking about what they were doing and my relationship with them and, how much I want to change things and just have an understanding. But luckily for me, you know, this person I'm very close with. And so I just, you know, right after this, I think I'm going to go and talk with her. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that the best thing you can do at every point in time is just be honest with everyone around you and yourself, yourself first. Because the first step in lying to anyone else is lying to yourself. And people forget that. And I learned that the hard way. I used to lie a lot growing up. Um, I would say that too. I used to I used to feel like I had to fabricate a life to make people impressed by me. I mean, it was doing it since I was in kindergarten. Um, nowadays, I'm the opposite. I think I'm so candid and brutally honest and radically transparent that I, I, it almost annoys people and does put off a lot of people. If someone asks me any question, I will usually almost always give them a candid and, and honest answer. Um, that's because th- that's simply what I believe. I know there's don't sugarcoat it. Don't play politics. Don't pay power, ga- play power games. Just be honest. And, uh, you know, I would say that all these things that I am suffering through are things that many people deal with on a much worse scale, um, every day. And I've dealt with it for years. And so, you know, that's 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 what I would say. I think we can kind of I can keep going down that road, but it's all in the same vein. It's like no one wants other people to know just how fragile they might be, and I think everyone is fragile in different ways. The people that want to come across as the least fragile are the most fragile, um, and the gentle, kind souls in this earth that come across as kind of like weightless figures that just help are are the least fragile, um, and that is. I think true through society. Alex Hillinger, what's the craziest thing you've ever done that you can talk about on the internet? Um, honestly, I feel like this 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 this, this AMA has had a lot of strong sexual undertones and about relationships and stuff like that. So I would say that. Um, I've had sex in many places that if I ever got caught, I would have been probably arrested. Um, and in some States a registered sex offender, cause I think sex in public is considered to be, um, that kind of thing. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to admit that there's not, no actual information I could ever be prosecuted on, but also like, it's just, you know, in New York and other places, fun relationships with certain people that, you know, are highly sexual and you tend to get bored and the bedroom and you go other places but you know i think there's a fine line between being playful and voyeuristic uh with two people privately and then just crossing the line of public um exposure which is a line that i will never cross but i think that there's some things that a lot of i think a lot of things a lot of people do but no one actually admits they do um the craziest thing i've ever done that i can talk about on the internet there's a lot of things i cannot talk about on the internet um but i can i don't really know I'm going to think about that. If I come with an answer, I'll add it to the end of another podcast in the future, but um, everything that's coming to my mind right now are things that I could never say on here. Uh, So next question. Justin McBurney asks, what are some of the more positive lessons, skills, or habits you've been able to learn or develop from living with and facing anxiety? Um, That's a heavy question. What are some of the more positive lessons, skills, and habits you've been able to learn or develop from living with and facing anxiety? You know what? I think that I wouldn't be who I am, going back to the why are you the way you are question, without anxiety. I also think that the human species wouldn't be the way we are without anxiety. You know, um, Humans are anxious creatures by... By evolution, you know, we wouldn't have survived tens of thousands of years through predators and species collapse and and ecosystem collapse and environmental collapse and and different things like that if we weren't anxious anxious people and creatures and constantly looking for the next thing that might kill us. Um, and that's what anxiety is. Anxiety anxiety is fear of the future, right? Um, and that single trait has basically guaranteed that that society has turned into into what it has, you know, um, the, the biggest, the the biggest catalyst of anxiety in my mind is imagination. Um, imagination is a utility of the mind. And I think that it can be prescribed for good or it can be prescribed for bad. And anxiety, I think for the most part is bad. Sometimes I think it can be useful, especially for disaster or accident avoidance. But, um, you know, I think, some of those positive things I've learned is that just because you imagine something that could go terribly wrong or something you don't want to do um, doesn't mean it's going to happen. And actually it probably means that it's never going to happen. Um, There's a James Garfield quote that goes, I have lived a great many troubles, none of which have ever happened. Uh, And I think that that's probably the most positive outcome is that, you know what? I could sit here in a pile of my own poo and, and stool around and, and, and figure out, you know, the, the worst possible thing that could happen or, or the worst possible outcome for a different situation, the worst possible thing that, that could, you know, come out. And I think I've just learned that look like in life, in my mind, there are three ways that something, uh, things, anything can happen. And this especially applies to things you don't want to happen. Uh, number one is you choose to do something that is, that is the most the most basic one. So if you were like me and spent a lot of time in your years worried about if you do something, um, most people know who they are, right? Most people know the things they would do and would not do. It's almost in your your DNA, it's in your code, right? There are many things that we would not do. Um, And then there's the two other scenarios, which is something completely and utterly outside of your control. Um, Crazy, crazy things have happened in this world. Crazier things have yet still to happen. Many things will happen outside of our control, even if you may be somewhat at fault for whatever reason for that um, or in control or possession or whatever whatever you want to say, um, sometimes things are just completely and utterly genuinely outside of your control. And I'll say that to myself and everyone else with anxiety forever. There will always be things outside of your control in this world and you have to learn to accept that. And then the third possibility sits between the two. There are things that are just genuine accidents that are unavoidable. And this happens every day. People die due to accidents. Things that were results or consequences of the actions of another individual, but were unintended. And those are some of the hardest ones to accept. You know, there are always unintended consequences and sometimes they have massive life-altering implications on people. And uh, sometimes they're sinister. They're sinister. And people choose to do those things, but that comes back to choice. So in my mind, I've learned through years and years of self-psychoanalysis, meditation, outside psychoanalysis, um, you know, there's one of three ways, three avenues, and it's uh, within your control, complete utter accident or something completely outside of your control. And I have not found something that falls outside of those three categories. Um, and with that, you know, it's like, I, I have my own ethos, you know, I, I've developed my own system instead of ethos that I will prescribe to and say to myself and, and work on and constantly grow and build and, and do the best thing I can do. And, um, yeah, I just, that's, that's what I, that's what I've done to myself. And, and, and you can find this online and I've said them in here and in vlogs and different places like that. I'm not going to say them now, but, but, you know, I just think that Anxiety is one of those things where no matter how many self-help books and psychologists you go see or drugs you take, um, you can learn what has worked for other people. But until you sit there and solve the problems for yourself, um, they're not going to go away. Um, and it's not something its not something you achieve. It's, it's, not, it's not a level where you're like, I no longer have anxiety. It's, it's a rented thing. It's like success. You have to continually be working at it. Um, and you get better, and it gets progressively better over time and and you're able to process more and 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 not waste huge puddles of time worrying about the dumbest possible things um but that's just that's just life, and so that's what I'd recommend everyone is is meditation is is the best way through that um sit alone with your thoughts, don't distract yourself with someone else talking you through meditation or letting you think or making you breathe just sit down and shut down your mind. Do it for an hour. Do it for 30 minutes. Do it for, do it for a, a, a period of time that makes you uncomfortable at first. Um, and the reason being is that the first 30 or so times, for me it was the first couple hundred times, <laughs> most of that time you'll spend running around in your head and running circles like a hamster on a wheel. But your mind is processing. You are working through things that are important for self-discovery, for analysis. I mean, I need to go meditate after this because like, my head's spinning at this point. Um, and that's natural. But you have to give yourself the time to work through these things in order for you to hit kind of like a mental inbox zero, so to speak. And if you don't do that, they're going to be cropping up and playing in the background on autoplay all day and get progressively worse over time and eventually grind your life to a halt. So um and that's what I view as depression personally. But um I guess the best thing I can say is try meditation, start with the most basic thing possible. Um I honestly like I'm a big believer just ripping off the band-aid so the Naval method is, you know, sixty minutes, sit down for an hour, um as soon as you wake up preferably, and just devote yourself to that. You know, don't look at your phone. Don't distract yourself. Just be alone with your thoughts and sit there and actually process them and understand that you're not going to be able, sometimes you end up being able to solve something in your head for years. Sometimes it'll, it'll take seconds and sometimes you'll forget you were solving something and then one day randomly the solution will come to you. Um, but I find that the most intelligent and imaginative and powerful people that have done things that have really changed everyone's lives for the better all are very consciously aware of their thoughts from negative of negatives to positive of positive. Um, and uh, just a friendly reminder that you are not your thoughts. But uh, I think that, that that does this for this, this AMA. I'm not gonna answer any more questions. Um, but yeah, as always, you can find me online at... Rob Auchincloss, and uh, this has been the first AMA of the Holocene Podcast. I probably do this every, like I want to do maybe two a year, three a year. It depends on how many questions I get. Um, I collect these. Sometimes people ask me questions, and I just don't feel like typing it out or them a voice memo, so I just add it to this list, and I think that might be a fun way of, of going through this, but um, I hope that they get more interesting over time, and I like deep questions, so if anyone after this has... Uh, any, any questions or anything they want to add, um, my contact information is everywhere. Just send me a question. Just send me a single email with a question in the subject and no body. I, would, I will answer it. Um, just tell me who to attribute the question to. And uh, yeah, but otherwise, um, I just launched today the third iteration of the Holocene newsletter, holocene.substack.com. And uh, I'm really liking what I'm doing and I'm getting a lot of positive feedback and, and some also really good constructive criticism for how to iterate this moving forward and make it everything that um, I want it to be. For people that are unaware, the Scene newsletter was um, basically a version of an old newsletter I used to publish um, where I focus on one idea or topic, whether it's something that I think everyone could learn from or something that uh, is an interesting premise that is unheard of or something that other people could relate to. Um Then, I feature five new things, or not necessarily new, but things that I find are interesting uh, books and products and t v shows and movies and music and it's always kind of all over the place, but I think that 's what makes it popular and and i most people uh that have given me feedback um do it for that reason and then uh, the third thing is a photo essay, which is a new thing for me where I tell a story using photos i've taken um whether it 's a adventure or something else or or last week 's about you know the importance of never missing a sunset, um, but otherwise, yeah, feel free to subscribe, feel free to subscribe to this podcast, and I will catch you all this Sunday for my amazing conversation with Razib Khan, which I recorded earlier today, and I'm really, really looking forward to that getting out there um, and hoping we don't get canceled in the process, but otherwise, have a fantastic night, and I do love you.